Hello, everybody. Um, I'm very, very pleased to welcome you today to our session with uh, Sacha Cagan. Uh, he's going to talk about the cultural dimension of sustainability and uh, what I found very intriguing in his work that um, he is trying to um, bring together um, the sustainability sciences in a sense and something he calls uh, the art of sustainability. Um, I think that's um, that's a that's a really that's not that's not just a, an interesting idea, but I think um, it's it's a really necessary um, thing to do and to think uh, to bring the arts and science uh, and of course technology um, much closer together. So I he has written a book. Um, that has already the title Art and Sustainability and I will just circulate it while um, he's going okay. to talk. Thank you very much. Thanks a lot. Uh, since we talk about books, I will also um, start with a little bit of more uh, dum -dum 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 -dum, uh, advertisement for the latest, because that's why it's really old, it's from 2011. And this is from 2000, ah, sorry, I'm just fetching them from 2019, so you can pass it around if you want. This is the latest book, I will talk about it a bit later in details. Latest book we published from our research in and about the city of uh, Hanover. So, uh, yes, as uh, Astrid just said, I will be uh, trying to give you a bit of an overview around the cultural dimension of sustainability and I will, I will first, in the first part, talk about the cultural dimension and about uh, questions related to imagination and imaginaries and then I will focus a little bit more on artistic approaches, arts-based approaches in sustainability and especially sustainability research. Um, so starting with the cultural and the imaginary in, in sustainability and also in sustainability research. Um, some of you might be aware of different existing uh, reviews or overviews of um, discourses on culture and sustainability. One of them I'm just taking as an example to start with uh, from, from um, Soini and Birkeland, so um, Katrina Soini and, and Inge Berkeland. It's an article where they looked at uh, discourses on cultural sustainability. Uh, so discourses that really use the expression cultural sustainability uh, uh, in different publications and they made some kind of categorization out of it which shows, which looks, which, which points to um, political directions of different discourses bringing together culture and sustainability, but with this very specific exp expression, cultural, sustain cultural sustainability. They've basically found, so to say, seven different discourses and they simplified it into four. Um, you have a neoliberal discourse which sees culture as assets for economic development, 
nothing surprising, mainstream discourse, uh, the dominant discourse we all know about. Uh, then there is a more conservative discourse that uses or that employs uh, this notion of culture in order to talk about cultural identities, about cultural heritage, and to introduce that into the discourses on sustainable development. Then you have a communitarian discourse, which, um, which focuses a lot on cultural diversity and social diversity and on the idea of placemaking. And finally, they found out about uh, what they called an environmentalist discourse or a kind of holistic discourse, which is about human nature interfaces and which looks at the integration of culture and nature and even some kind of hope for an eco-cultural civilization. So which is closest to some green discourses one, one would uh, know about, think about. So this is how they characterized it. It's very interesting, but uh, on my side, I've been not completely happy with this for a number of reasons. One of them is that uh, not all discourses are about cultural sustainability. Not all discourses, not all approaches use that necessarily that expression is already very, very much narrowing down and very much limited to look only at cultural sustainability. Um, so what I rather, uh, or what I would like to suggest to add to this, this or to, to, to have as an alternative maybe even to this uh, characterization by Soini and Bierkeland is to look at cultural sustainability discourses on the one hand, uh, but put them in contrast to another set of discourses which, if I summarize, are about cultural, the cultural dimension of sustainability, a cultural dimension of sustainability. Uh, I'm here going to be a bit uh, summarizing or summed up about this. If you want to read more about it, there's a chapter I published in a book in 2018 by uh, uh, Torsten Mayreis and Gabriel Rippel, the book uh, Cultural Sustainability Perspectives from the Humanities and Social Sciences, and I have a, a chapter in there. Um, so, on the side of cultural sustainability, we see, I, I, I notice that most of the discourses that talk about cultural sustainability talk about culture as a separate domain within sustainability. They often use images, the typical images which are quite mainstream, of the pillars of sustainability. There was supposed to be three pillars and now instead there's four pillars. So you just make your temple more solid with a one additional pillar. Um, they also like to focus on cultural goals for human development. They look into the sustainability of culture or of diverse cultures. This kind of discourses or those kinds of discourses on cultural sustainability are often um, carried and supported by a whole number of policy actors, especially cultural policy actors and uh, lobbyists from the cultural sector who see, of course, their own interest being uh, uh, in tune with this discourse on cultural sustainability. Uh, and when you look at what researchers are doing who are using the, the cultural sustainability discourse, there's a huge diversity. Uh, there was even a cost network where hundreds of researchers tried to find an agreement or discuss the diversity of approaches, so there's quite some diversity. But in common, one could say that there is a, s a shared focus on aspects of culture that sustain human communities and human societies over historical periods of time. 
So that's the cultural sustainability uh, discourses in, 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 in short. And if one contrasts it to another set of discourses which more talk about the cultural dimension of sustainability, those discourses are most of the time um, rather working with sustainability as, or sustainable development, Nachhaltige Entwicklung in the German discourse, as a kind of a much more integrated search process. Those are discourses which are very critical of the images, of the symbolism of pillars, which would be, so to say, standing next to each other and that one could focus on next to each other. Much more, they discuss dimensions which are inseparable from each other and they discuss sustainability and the cultural dimension of it only as being interesting insofar as one looks at the relations between the dimensions. Looking at each dimension separately is actually not very interesting. What's interesting is when the dimensions come together. Um, so culture then is a dimension within a wider search process of humanity and the cultural dimension has uh, especially an integrative function for all other dimensions. So one can also, through the cultural dimensions, reco dimension reconsider the other dimensions uh, uh, of sustainable development. Um, then within that discourse, there is uh, also a discourse that grew in parallel, uh, um, which or, or in connection to it, where one was talking about cultures of sustainability, which is again a third, so to say, branch, but which one could put within the cultural dimension of sustainability. And within that discussion of cultures of sustainability, you find authors who are talking about learning cultures, about transformative cultures, about uh, so culture in the anthropological sense, in a wide sense, cultures which are able to learn from crisis and therefore to, to learn in order to, to, um, to facilitate a potential sustainable development. Um, this, this, uh, um, this is all in much more details in the, in the, in the chapter I just mentioned. Um, so then looking at the imagination, how is sustainability imagined, imagination of sustainability in those two broad approaches, if one looks at the cultural sustainability approaches, one can see an imagination of a very diverse and very vital or lively cultural life where heritage is being balanced with uh, cultural practices I mean, contemporary practices and expressions and with new cultural forms and forms of creativity. One also sees an imagination of a distinct cultural sphere in society and this cultural sphere has a central mediating role for the rest of society. So this is a the kind of discourses you can find and there was a, a very uh, influential uh, text in 2001 by Jan Hawkes uh, uh, about this with this kind of discourse and uh, in the lobbying and political realm we have especially one group UCLG United Cities and Local Governments who really push that kind of discourse. Um, I would say I will come back to those kind of categories later I would say that in this kind of approach uh, the imagination is an ontological imagination, an imagination about being, about the being of culture, about placing culture within sustainability, staking the place or, or uh, uh, making a, yeah, a claim about that. Um, then when one looks at cultures of sustainability and the cultural dimension of sustainability, one sees an imagination which is one of 
uh, a kind of transformation in civilization which is carried by a a specific kind of culture, a culture which is infused with an understanding and a respect for life, for the complex made of nature and cultures, um, which is interested in the dy dynamic diversity, in the qualitative complexity, both of natural systems and of uh, societal systems. So a culture which kind of integrates with this wider, so to say, search of uh, sustainability. It's an imagination which is about groups of people inventing a good life um, and which is often guided by aesthetics, in this case aesthetics as a kind of pre-ethics, something that comes as a preliminary to ethical constructions, to philosophical discussions. Uh, one of the uh, philosophers or anthropologists Hi, uh, anthropologists who, who, who have been, who, who are quite influential in there is uh, Tim Ingold, who talks about this, about aesthetics uh, as a kind of pre-ethical basis, so to say. Um, here I would say that the imagination, rather than, than being an ontological imagination, is rather an epistemological imagination. Uh, an imagination where culture is about a cultural perspectives on and in sustainability. Um, in my work, I, as you will see throughout the, 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 the talk today, I tend to opt especially for the cultural dimension of sustainability approach rather than the cultural sustainability approach. Uh, and there's many reasons why either of the two or both of the two are quite interesting actually. But in my case, uh, it's, uh, it has to do with what I call cis-disciplinary drifts. So it's a bit uh, I, I, this way we need to explain a little bit. You might know the, uh, in, in gender studies the idea of uh, cisgender norms with a specific kind of number of rules and sets of proper behaviors, beliefs, etc., which correspond to it, uh, uh, against which transgender tries to, so to say, uh, to, 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 to provoke divergences, to, to queer away from those norms. Um, here I would say that there is also a, a, a kind of a, um, field of conflict, not between disciplines and interdisciplinary and transdisciplinary work, but rather between a transdisciplinary attitude and a cis-disciplinary attitude. Um, so here, coming, coming back to the, to the cultural dimension of sustainability, uh, when one works with cultural sustainability, one tends to develop an own area for culture-focused researchers, or to continue to develop this area, which already exists, of course, for a long time. To carve a known territory, which is a territory, a research territory, apart from sustainability sciences. And one can also very easily look at which conferences, which networks people go to, and see that most of the cultural sustainability researchers will never go to a sustainability science conference or a sustainability conference. They do go to the cultural sustainability conferences and they publish in the cultural sustainability outlets. And we, I'm also part of it, so I'm a bit, uh, it's a bit ironic or self-critical. Self there's also a, a, uh, there's a series in Routledge within Routledge Earthscan, which is for the cultural sustainability people. So anyway, uh, within this, I see, um, a kind of inter and a neo-disciplinarity with a risk of this kind of cis-disciplinary drift, meaning getting back into the belief that it is perfectly sufficient 
to work uh, and to build those boundaries again uh, around some kind of interdisciplinary field which which is which is uh, which is uh, so to say keeping its borders clear opposed to this is uh, a transdisciplinary approach with um, a, a constant a never achieved and constantly renegotiated process of collaboration and confrontation between different forms of research and different forms of different perspectives, uh, meaning especially a constant both collaboration and confrontation between culture researchers and sustainability researchers, and especially those in the so-called field of sustainability science. This is also especially interesting, not just for the cultural researchers, also for the sustainability researchers, because they also tend to fall into a feudal uh, practice, of, or rather a cis-disciplinary practice of turning sustainability science into a kind of neo-discipline and uh, uh, um, losing much of the potential that existed, uh, uh, of a transdisciplinary potential. So, uh, and also including education research and other, other fields. Um, here I must say maybe two words uh, about, the, about the kind of uh, transdisciplinarity I'm talking about. I, I cannot go in details, it would take too long, but in very, very short, there's many different approaches and understandings to transdisciplinarity. Also in the arts and culture, there's other approaches, but if you look at People who work with sustainability, there's basically oh, there's two important approaches, I would say, which it is good to, to, to have in, in, uh, in Blick, uh, uh, the Germans would say, to have in your, in your, uh, in your not in, just in your mind, but to look at. Um, I'm, I'm, guess, I'm becoming German slowly, I'm thinking in German more and more. Um, and so one of them is the one that's dominant in the so-called sustainability science, sustainability research. It's one that has been championed, especially at a very famous uh, universe, Swiss university called the ETH, so the, the Swiss University of, of uh, Applied Science, Technologies, etc. And this approach to transdisciplinarity is not the one I mean. In this approach to transdisciplinarity, it's about mainly the idea of disciplinary and interdisciplinary scientists working together with society. So it's a kind of science with society approach, which is of course very valuable, but which is not epistemolo epistemologically going very, very far or, or, or including much more, much more reflection. Another approach to transdisciplinarity, which actually exists for, for a little bit longer uh, and has been especially uh, advocated uh, in Romania and in France and then in South America a lot, in Spain, not so much in Germany, is the uh, so-called CIRE approach or the approach that was, for, there's one name, there's one, one Actually, it's a quantum physicist and a philosopher who is very famous for that approach called Bazaram Nicolescu. And in that approach to transdisciplinarity, uh, I find it especially interesting for this kind of discussion because in that approach, you try to think about a complex unity of knowledge and of ways to access the world, which is not a theory of everything, which is not a, a unitary unity, but which is a complex unity. So a unity made of contradictions and which uh, is especially interested at 
so to say, what, is what one could call a transdisciplinary hermeneutics. So ways to access the world, which include cognitive, different cognitive forms of access to the world, from the logico-deductive uh, logico to the symbolic thinking, which includes embodied cognition, embodied elements in, in, in access to the world, which includes also even spiritual and other forms of, uh, of access to the world. And when one starts talking about that, especially at the latest, if one starts talking about the spiritual, then the sustainability scientists, most of them say, no, now that's enough. This is, not, this is not the transdisciplinarity we're doing. But this is the transdisciplinarity which I find especially interesting and where these, uh, this kind of complex uh, uh, exchanges between cultural research and sustainability research can be especially interesting. So I talked a lot for that slide, way beyond what I wanted, but I think it's important to make that point clear. Now, um, a little bit of an aside, uh, again, a question of definitions to, to put this in, in this context. When one looks at the research which is being made on sustainability, more within sustainability science or also in the sustainable development discourses of uh, big agencies like the United Nations and others, there are, or one can divide it or define it or, or see in it, three different lenses or three different approaches or three different definitions of sustainability. Here I'm using an, uh, this, uh, having many sustainability research talked about it, but especially one PhD uh, thesis, the one by Tadeusz Miller, went into the details of this, of this so to say, categorization. And um, in short, so there's the un universalist, a procedural and um, an ambiguous definition of sustainability. The universalist definition of a thin sustainability, a thin like a thin cracker uh, or a thin shin, uh, uh, layer of ice, the thin sustainability is, uh, a universalist sustainability is about finding the minimum common standards that are universal across the planet and that we can all agree on. It's very useful for the UN, of course, because that's their job to try to do that kind of thing. Uh, but some, many scientists actually also follow this kind of, of approach and of definition. So trying to find what are, so to say, universal standards, universal goals that have to be attained, etc. Uh, for example, 1.5 degrees, uh, things like that. Um, another approach is a procedural approach to sustainability. A procedural definition of sustainability says sustainability is not those uh, minimum standards, uh, on at least not only those minimum standard things that we can all agree on, that would be supposedly universal, but much more sustainability is a search process and it's an emergent property, an emergent property of a discussion that people have about the futures that they desire. Futures that are desired and of course which are also realistic to some extent, so of course this doesn't throw away uh, uh, it's not a pure, pure subjective approach, but still what's important is the procedure. Sustainability as this kind of negotiation procedure of society. So that's the procedural approach to sustainability. And then you have a number of people, that's also an interesting approach, it's the, the least frequent, but it also exists, who say sustainability is actually something completely ambiguous. It can mean anything and that's why it's so fantastic, because it's a thing we can work with and don't, really don't, don't know what it is, uh, a bit like also culture, by the way. But um, So that's, that's another approach, again, the, the ambiguous definition of sustainability. Uh, 
In, uh, in much of what I'm going to continue to talk about today, I'm especially myself working with the procedural approach to sustainability, and that's all also where I see culture and the arts as uh, especially insightful, uh, meaningful is within this procedural approach to sustainability with some bits of the other two coming in and out or being involved. Of course, these are not completely exclusive approaches, huh? but these are, there's lots of blurry zones. Between. That's why I don't put colors, but some kind of degradé uh, of colors for each of them with some of the same colors appearing everywhere. I'll just give you a little bit of an idea that it's not, uh, not completely not meant to be completely separate. But still, there are clearly differences in what's the, the main approach. So if w then we look at culture, now I'm, I'm being a bit simplistic within this procedural versus universalist approaches to sustainability, especially in sustainability science and again sustainability politics. Um, well, within a universalist approach, uh, the role of culture is a little bit disappointing. If you have really a purely universalist approach, the idea is to search for transcultural features, both in cultural heritage and in contemporary cultural processes, which have a track record, a historical track record, of fostering sustainable behaviors and sustainable values. So you're trying to find out what are the cultural elements that give you sustainable values and sustainable behaviors, uh, uh, and then you can try to extract them. It's a bit like, you know, this, those transcultural psychology approaches, huh? like, like also evolutionary psychology. I mean, it, it, there is a whole, there are uh, academic branches or, or directions in which it can, it can fit quite well, but that's the kind of approach that would come from a universalist definition. If you take a procedural definition, however, here I have a very, um, a, a nice quote from, I think it's, as a, I, I just wrote down her initials because I always, that's always the publications, uh, Sendry, I think it's Oriana, Oriana Sendry, uh, an article about education that she wrote 2013, and she, she says, we need to learn to deal with complexity and uncertainty rather than learning a predetermined, sustainable set of values and behavior. So that clearly shows again the, the kind of difference in the approach to culture that is, that is being taken in, I think, if one takes a rather universalist or procedural direction. So I will go more in the procedural direction. Um, in the procedural direction, sustainability is about the imagination of futures. And here there is a, so to say, kind of slogan for researchers going in that direction that has been made by two Canadian researchers, David Maggs, who is a musician and a sustainability scientist, and John Robinson. I mean, they've been working together for some years, and their slogan was, which I think is in the PhD of David Maggs, and which John Robinson used in many, many, many of his interventions, which is, uh, we've been spending, I mean, that's the short version, but the longer version is we're spending much too much time trying to prove the world more real, especially at the IPCC, at the climate change, you know, uh, uh, um, UN panels. Instead, we maybe need to prove the world more imaginary. So to prove, in order to have an effect on the desires of sustainable futures, we have to focus on the imaginary and not so much to focus on uh, proving things to be real, especially, I mean, nowadays, I think it, it becomes even clearer that it's, uh, in French, we say peine perdue. It doesn't make sense to try to prove real things to somebody like Donald Trump, for example. But it's, uh, um, that's an easy argument. 
Anyway, so uh, uh, within this procedural approach, there's a number of things which are important. One of them is uh, emergence. Sustainability, as, as I said from this, from this uh, definition earlier, sustainability is an emergent property of a discussion of desired futures. So emergence is especially important, letting things emerge, a culture of emergence. Another important aspect, a key word, is uncertainty. It's the idea that nobody really knows the story of the future. Um, societies and members of society need to collectively co-create stories together, but nobody knows it in advance. This is something that you often have to repeat uh, when you're in a context of sustainability scientists who want to save the world but who really think they have a solution and that all they need to do is to give the solution to the, in participative processes of course, but to the population. Uh, so complexity also involves inherent unpredictability and uh, having this kind of relation of, of, of positive relation to uncertainty means, and that's something that Robinson talks a lot about, means what he calls overcoming the frustrations of modernism. I mean, there's certain ways of thinking that have to be overcome. Another aspect of it is that uh, we have to share partial views that different professionals, academics, uh, artists, philosophers, and others involved in those processes have to try to, of course, share their best understandings of the trade-offs between different choices of uh, different choices of development of industrial economic human and other forms of development um, and of the consequences of different choices uh, and different courses of action um, but that doesn't mean of course to try to impose certain courses of action just to try to informed to the best possible means uh, uh, with, with the different forms of knowledge that one has. And that's what I would call, it's not the way Robinson called it, but I would call that a kind of candid transdisciplinarity. Um, and finally, the, the last important keyword has to do with those desires, with the imagination, and uh, with making sure to equate sustainability with desirability. Um, especially focusing about uh, um, imagination once again, rather than only and always and repeatedly focusing on information deficits, thinking that people don't have enough information, that's why things don't move in the right direction. No, the, the focus is not on information deficit, rather on imagination. So, uh, um, within that discourse of Robinson, um, he sees, for example, again I'm quoting him, uh, he sees sustainability as a way to conjure and evaluate deeper ontological and epistemological questions such as what is the world, how do we know it, what can we do to change it, etc, etc. And he also uh, finds the lens of aesthetics, the questions of experience, the affect, the creativity, the self-reflection to be very important aspects in that, uh, in that direction. Um, which is something we, a number of researchers also share, as you will see. Um, so, then, as I mentioned earlier, I want to focus a little bit more on imagination and imaginaries uh, and the importance of uh, imaginations and imaginaries of sustainability to try to find out also more about those, those different approaches to it. So first, a few, uh, I want to say a few words about what I mean by imagination and imaginaries, just to clear up a little bit, it's typical academic you know, the academic trying to define things. Um, so, first, imagination. Imagination is an individual and a social, perceptive and creative process. So, it's phenomenology, but it's also creativity. 
by which we create by which we shape realities in our encounters with the world it is at play in perception it gives form to sensory intuitions as well as making present that which is absent it's not just fantasy but a sensitivity to the possible shapes of one's environment and this is important because this is I, I'm, I, again i don't have time to go into the details if you want the details there's a upcoming article uh, hopefully soon you know academic publications take forever i wrote it like two years ago and now it's finally coming out i hope in a few weeks or months at the österreichische zeitschrift für soziologie uh, Four, four approaches to imagining sustainability. So very, very discuss imagination, imaginaries in much more detail. But uh, this, this idea of the sensibility to the possible shapes of one's environment comes from Maurice Merleau-Ponty. So it comes from a phenomenologist who played the major role in understanding imagination better. But it also, actually, if you look back, it was also already developed by Immanuel Kant. So it's not really new, uh, but it's an important approach. Uh, so, a sensibility, sensitivity to the possible shapes of one's environment and imagination is then at the very basis of the possibility of action and at the active and the organizational heart of social and political reality. So, imagination is a very important process from, from this kind of definition. And then there's the imaginary. Um, the imaginary, again, not either individual or social, but individual and social. The imaginary is a patterned set of shared images and forms which are forming a matrix that affects our access to the world. The imaginary is effectively uh, laden and it is playing a crucial role in how a human being experiences the world and the self. An imaginary institutes an order in the context of which norms and ideals make sense. It works like a cognitive and cultural humus from which more articulate cultural constructs such as visions and narratives and discourses and utopias can then grow and where they can take roots. Uh, here the main author for this understanding of imaginary, both at an individual and at a social level, is a Greek philosopher, Cornelius Castoriadis, who, who wrote especially about it. Um, so imagination brings the world to expression, giving it an affective texture. So affect here is the capacity of our bodies to be affected, to bear the marks of interactions with the world, and with other bodies, but it's also a capacity to respond. Affect is a capacity to expressively or purposively respond to what affects us. So it goes in both directions, so to say. And the idea here is that we do not cast the effects upon a neutral world, but we respond to the world's affective texture as we perceive it. That's a very phenomenological way of thinking. Eh? Again, Merleau-Ponty and co. Um, and through the imaginaries which we have, we can exercise, so to say, the effect and the imagination. We then find the world as expressive and as inviting a response. The existence of social institutions then is linked to the existence of imaginaries that we more or less share with each other as the members of a specific society. Those imaginaries are carried by shared representations, shared practices, stories we tell ourselves, myths we pass on, and structures, social structures that we construct. Uh, 
And the productive role of the imagination is especially seen in the emergence of changed imaginaries, of changed social imaginaries. So imagination has a role on the imaginaries. Um, also, what's important to keep in mind, that's something Castoriadis was especially saying, is that the social imaginaries are not produced and controlled by any specific individuals or a specific group, but they are produced continuously and modified continuously, partly in a conscious way, partly in non-intentional way, in non-conscious ways, by what Castoriadis called an anonymous collective. So they are not controlled by any specific, or they cannot be completely controlled by any specific actors. Another thing which is important to keep in mind is that I'm talking here about imaginaries in the plural, not about imaginary. There's always a big difficulty that, for example, for the article I published with co German colleagues, das imaginaire, das imaginaire, das imaginaire, and there's no plural. And it's impossible to say plural of das imaginaire. Ah, Vorstellungskraft, no, no, the imaginaries. No, no, das imaginaire. So that's an uh, interesting translation issue and also a thinking issue. So social imaginaries are complex webs of meanings with unity and with internal cohesion that legitim legitimize certain views, certain logics, and certain organizational forms in a society. And here, and that's something that Castoriadis already said, uh, because he was a Marxist after all, he was just a different kind of Marxist or post-Marxist, but still, there were Marxist roots and some kind of utopian or at least reformist ideas in, in, his, in his thinking. And for him, radical imagination, he's talk, he, was, he was writing and talking about radical imagination, is required to detach from a given dominant social imaginary and from the certainties that it provides. He was talking about capitalism, and to say it short, uh, in the case of Castoriadis. One can, I think, really reuse it in our discussions on sustainability or unsustainability, by the way. Um, so different, what's, what's important though, and that's something that Castoriadis did not say or did not push much, and others, critics or people following him uh, insisted on much more, the idea that different social imaginaries can relate to the same symbol, the same practice, of the same social institutions. You might have the impression that you have a shared social imaginary, but actually you have conflicting social imaginaries which are attached to the same objects. So that's one thing. And the second thing is that those multiple social imaginaries can coexist and then they have complex relation to each other. So they are not either competing with each other or conflicting with each other or complementary to each other or, uh, so to say, very much alike each other or in being in a perfect unity with each other, they actually have all those things at the same time and there's also relations between those relations. That's actually the basic idea, I come back to it later, of a complex, of a qualitative complexity that you do not, you cannot define complex social relations according to only one type of relation, whether competitive, for example, neoliberal thinking is very good at uh, thinking in terms of competitions or, or complementarities. Or conflicts, think of Chantal Mouffe, uh, agonistics, conflicts, conflicts, conflicts. This is, this is again one, one approach only. Um, so, now I'm coming to uh, uh, why I've been talking so much about imaginaries and imaginations. Um, I've been using that in order to uh, characterize those different approaches in sustainability research looking at them in terms of what imaginations in imaginaries of sustainability they have. So here, I'm not looking at uh, people who work on culture specifically, but at all the researchers who work on sustainability. And once again, it's a, it's a, 
this one is really, so to say, my categorization, and it's not systematic, it's not based on content analysis and uh, selecting uh, a certain number of documents and using scientific methods like Soini and Birkeland have done. It's, uh, uh, I would say, more a kind of result of an ethnographic, or no, I shouldn't say ethnographic, I've been, people have been hitting on my fingers for daring to say ethnographic. Uh, it's, it's the result of, let's say, 20, 20 yeah, almost 20 years, or about 20 years, uh, let's say 18 years of being involved in this, all these discourses already as a student and then, then as a researcher in different places. Um, so it's, of course, it can be, it can be criticized. That's anyway the way I've been, I've been seeing it taking form. So those four, those four approaches are, uh, one of them is again the neoliberal approach, which uh, for me has. Uh, an imaginary where you find things like the triple bottom line, uh, this typical image of a triple bottom line, or environmental management, uh, where you have actually um, um, a mix, not just of neoliberal approaches, because neoliberal is rather young, uh, but also corporate and especially technocratic approaches to, to imagining sustainability. So that's what I would call, in a bigger sense or in a wider way, the modernist imagination. A modernist imagination of sustainability, which can be neoliberal or can be uh, uh, can be uh, more technocratic. Then, uh, and that's that is the approach that is rather, let's say, again, probably the more mainstream in society in uh, in global society. Um, a second approach, which is an approach more found among sustainability science researchers, is uh, the one of an imaginary of a transformation of society, which comes from a participatory alliance between science and society for, for sustainable development. So this is a, 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 what I would rather see as a political imagination, a political imagination which mobilizes scientists and researchers and citizens and others uh, uh, in a more activist way and in order to reach goals which have to do with, with environmental justice. A third approach uh, which you find more in especially more in the US than in Europe, uh, which you find in places like, I don't know if you know about the California Institute of Integrative, Integ Integral Studies, for example, and some, some other places in, in London, uh, in, London uh, in England, there's also the Schumacher College, and there's other places where you have those approaches, where I would say it's more an imaginary of holistic healing, of a healing of society, of a healing of humans, and of a healing of, uh, of the planet, which has to do also with notions of biophilia, of reinventing, so to say, more loving relations between uh, beings, and especially between human beings and other beings. Um, this is what I would rather see as a more ontological imagination. Here you have an imagination about the nature of being, about what is a sustainable being for humanity, so I would see that one as more ontological, and here the influences, there's multiple influences, but one of them is the integralist movement, which was already strong in future studies before, before sustainability studies arrived. And also other things which are much older, like for example, eco-psychology, deep ecology, and some of those other movements have had an influence on that. And finally, a fourth approach, which is more where I especially see many people working in, in culture, is one that sees sustainability, that, that has an imaginary of sustainability as more something like a culture of complexity, what I inscribed, uh, what I mentioned a bit earlier with its qualitative complexity, 
sustainability as a learning culture. This is the one in which I'm myself, so to say, inhabiting. Uh, so I'm kind of looking at the other three from this little quadrant, because this is the quadrant where I'm myself, so to say, situated. And uh, uh, where, of course, aesthetic and cultural approaches play a big role. And this is what I would see as a, a more epistemological imagination, an imagination which, uh, which imagines ways of knowing, of learning, and also of non-knowing, uh, and what roles they play. So the focus is more there. Uh, what's also interesting, I won't go into that in details today, because otherwise I would be talking for three hours, so I might skip a few slides, and you can find it in the article, uh, once again, in that uh, in upcoming article, otherwise I can send it to you, to you, I can send it to Astrid if you want to look uh, right away. Uh, there's a number of ways in which each of these approaches is, uh, are um, um, defining themselves or affirming themselves in, in, um, in opposition or in contrast to other approaches. And so there's a, there's a number of slides going into that. Uh, for example, one interesting thing, maybe I only mentioned that one, uh, one interesting thing with this um, uh, science with society approach, the one which was on the lower right uh, uh, part of the camembert, of the cheese thing, um, is that this approach is, is in, in certain ways really interesting and contradictory and <clears throat> living in interesting tension because on the one hand it really aims to be participatory, you know, this kind of ETH definition of sustainability, science and society collaborations, but at the same time it wants to be super efficient because I mean, I've been working with, with uh, scientists in that working in that, in that direction, and each time we were doing, for example, walks with the students or arts-based approaches, it was always like, but we have to find the solution yesterday, the planet is burning and we don't have time to do artsy stuff with the students and to let them walk through the cities and discover the phenomenology of the place. No, no, no. We have to make uh, solution-oriented workshops so that the students can be capable in two days to give a solution to the mayor so that the mayor can apply it. So um, I'm, I'm kind of caricaturing, but this is the kind of situations that, that I experienced and where you see, to, to my perspective at least, uh, um, a tension or a contradiction with the intention to be participatory, to work bottom-up, and the intention to really be solutions-based and to work in a very efficient way. So uh, it's, it's an interesting, let's say, uh, uh, challenge that is posed there. Um, and one of the, I won't go into that, that, the details, but in Germany you have a whole discussion on real labor, which is interesting, also with the terminology, eh? uh, la real labor, laboraten, etc., uh, um, with relations to what kind of participation is being actually imagined. Um, okay, uh, uh, with a holistic biophilia, a holistic healing, etc., one, one interesting thing also in terms of oppositions is when thinking about, for example, about climate change and retreating from uh, flooded zones, for example, uh, this holistic healing approach will be, and some of the artists I know who work on ecology also explicitly point at that difference, would be talking about uh, embracing the creativity of life rather than uh, applying a, some kind of, or an illusion of cybernetic control, but also retreat, withdrawing gracefully when the waters rise uh, from climate change, rather than talking about a managed retreat as if we were an army having to retreat in front of the enemy, the rising waters. So it's, it's again, uh, different images, that, different imaginations that are at play even for the same situations. Um, an important aspect of the uh, culture of complexity approach 
I would say, is um, the idea of embracing and allowing the unfolding of emergence of open-ended processes, uh, which here then opposes itself to solutions designs, to uh, finite solutions. That's where there's a clear, that's why I had a conflict with some of my colleagues, because for me, from this more emergence-oriented approach, this very strong focus on finite solutions is not helpful. At least it's, it's, not, it's not the direction uh, this approach is trying to go into. If one looks at them uh, uh, from this universalist and procedural uh, you know, definitions I talked about earlier, uh, this is not in the article, this is just for you. Uh, uh, it's, uh, I would say that especially in this zone, in this quadrant, especially in the neoliberal approaches, you have at least a pragmatic use of a more universal definition, universalist definition of sustainability, which you also find for a big part here, but this is more mixed. And where you have the most, I would say, the most procedural approach is more in this, in this uh, quadrant of the, of the culture of complexity approach, which kind of makes sense. Uh, now, it's a bit more complicated if, we, if I would have, because we had the ambiguous also, if uh, I would say what are the imaginations that deal more with a, that relate more to an ambiguous approach to sustainability here, I would say the more ambiguous and to a certain extent procedural approaches have to do with Im imagination which is about indeterminacy. And here a good image would be the labyrinth of Borges and being lost in the labyrinth or in the bibliotheque or something like that. Uh, whereas the more universalist definitions of sustainability tend to relate to imaginations of ecotopias where everywhere around the world we have windmills and we have nature in the city and we have a beautiful woman scenting a rose. And that's why I took this, this picture there. Uh, so that's, that's kind of, uh, I, th I think, the direction it would go between more determinate or more indeterminate imaginations of futures. Whether you, you, you uh, when you, you include this question of the of the ambiguous and the procedural versus the universal. The, from there, I can also make a slightly more simplistic separation in two again, which would be, which I also find actually very much in Hanover, in the case of not just of the researchers, but then in the case of the, of the actors, meaning the civil society actors and uh, uh, the people in the municipality dealing with sustainability, so for example, actors in transition town versus other actors in, in also in transition town uh, uh, who have different approaches. So here I would say, if I, if, I, if I simplify it a bit, I would say on the one hand you have an imaginary of sustainability which is based on planning and control, where sustainable development is an engineered or even regimented roadmap to one better future, where resilience also one of the big keywords uh, which almost replaced sustainability for some years. Resilience is understood as resistance and reconfiguration. Uh, or look at how the US Army uses the term resilience, that's the kind of direction. Um, it's one where you can have clear borders and boundaries between things and realities. And it's one where, I come back to that, you have a cis-disciplinary clarity in your understandings of the world. So, if one understands it as uh, an approach to complexity, it would be more a manageable complexity, 
a complexity which can be choreographed, you know, the, the, usually the male who decides where the others, usually the females, have to dance and which movement they have to do. Uh, so choreographed, of course, through cybernetics. Cybernetics is the way to choreograph it. Choreograph it or, or, or algorithms nowadays, but even better. Uh, and actually a fear of more qualitative complexity and unpredictability. Uh, if I have time, I come to qualitative complexity a bit later more. Versus that, I mean, on the other hand, uh, is more an imaginary of sustainability, which is uh, rooted more or focusing more on emergence and on uncertainty. Here, sustainability, rather than, than being a roadmap, is rather a generative journey of the discovery of desirable futures. Um, resilience is not just resistance and reconfiguration. Resilience is rather gracefully letting go and exploring. Um, instead of having clear borders and boundaries, one has blurred borders and boundaries. And instead of a cisdisciplinary clarity, you have, in the Nicolescu sense, a transdisciplinary complexity and very unclear and uh, confusing meta-conceptual meshworks, not even networks. Uh, here again, Tim Ingold talks about those kind of meshworks. Um, so here you have an embrace of qualitative complexity and even an idea of dense with uncertainty, but which is not choreographed. Huh? You don't have a choreographer. You rather have, if you, if I continue the dance metaphor, it's more a kind of postmodern, I mean, contact impro, huh? if, if you know from, from dance. So it's more an improvised dance, one without a choreography, which again is a dance with uncertainty. And here you also have a fear. It's a fear of crystallization, like the fear I have when I work with those colleagues and they want their solutions quickly and I'm, af I'm afraid actually of coming too, too soon to the solution. Um, so here, if you want to see those two in action or in concrete cases, Again, I'm sorry, I'm again advertising for another chapter I published a few months ago, which is in the Routledge Companion to Urban Imaginaries, a nice book uh, uh, with many other nice chapters. And that's where I discuss those urban imaginaries in the case of Hanover, in, in that book in more <coughs> details. Or if you read German, there's the German book where I discuss that also in one chapter. Um, yes. So to sum it up uh, at this point, and I will use way too much time for what I wanted to be just only the first half. Um, there's a number of key points I want to, 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 to say, which are the points I adhere to when I work with sustainability. So once again, it's not about having pillars, and especially not three or four pillars, but rather I would say four or five dimensions on top of the usual ones, ecological, cultural, social, and economic. I find it also interesting to include the personal dimension, which uh, can also integrate some of the interesting things from the integralist and others uh, uh, by including also thinking about the personal dimension. Uh, it's not about some ideal state in the future, not an, ide not an idea of uh, fixity or perfect balance, but con a continuous process of change, not a consensus but a negotiation process which cannot reach perfect consensus. Um, and neither something that's completely arbitrary, so not a kind of cultural relativistic or radical social constructivist approach, um, also not a naturalistic, uh, completely naturalistic approach. So it again has to do with this qualitative complex reality, a reality that is both material and imaginary at the same time. Um, so coming to the, I oh know I'm using the wrong key, coming to the, to the arts, to the role of the arts, um, well, 
maybe I won't go into details about sustainability science. Um, I already talked about it a little bit, this kind of solution-oriented approach um, with a focus on competences for sustainability, which it includes systems thinking, it includes anticipatory competences, normative competences, ethics, thinking a lot about ethics, interpersonal competences, trying to be able to work with each other in an inter- and transdisciplinary way, like science and society groups, strategic competences, so lots of interesting things, but there's no aesthetic or artistic competence that's completely absent from there and um, and therefore a kind of difficulty to work wisely with the uncertainties and to develop creative responses so that's why there is or a need and I think also already a practice already a uh, the beginning of the emergence, once again, of an artistic turn within sustainability sciences, uh, to which, I mean, for which I've been ad 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 advocating for years, but also others, uh, uh, not so many, but more and more others are also uh, uh, working more in those directions uh, in sustainability research and sustainability science. So here, this is the book that Astrid mentioned, uh, uh, that was passed around. One of the ideas I've been working on uh, back then, and which I th still think are at least still central to my thinking on this, is the idea of aesthetics of complexity. Um, and here there's a quote which is very, a very good way to say it in few words from Edgar Morin, who is in this case my big uh, influence on, on this way of thinking. Uh, uh, who, whom he made a number of books called La Méthode uh, uh, from the 1970s until 2005 or 2008, which I really recommend if you can read French. Uh, otherwise, there's just volume one, which has uh, been horribly translated in English and uh, 100 pages are missing. Uh, it's, it's a terrible translation. Uh, or a German translation, which, which I've heard is a bit better, of the first volumes so of the one from 1970, and all the rest is still not translated, so that's a bit sad. Anyway, um, because this is really the guy who developed this notion of qualitative complexity. But uh, so in, in a kind of metaphor which, which helps kind of get a, a short glimpse of what he's pointing at, he, he was writing, I mean, this is my, my own translation, the system's sensibility will be like that of a musical ear which perceives competitions, symbioses, interferences, overlap of themes in one same symphonic stream or, in parentheses, it doesn't have to be a symphony, it can be a song of Eminem, huh? uh, where the brutal mind will only recognize one single theme surrounded by noise. So I think it's, in short, a good idea of this notion of qualitative complexity, and it's not a mistake that the metaphor comes from music, because especially art space and artistic approaches are among the most promising ways to perceive and to work with a more qualitative form of complexity. So I mentioned already earlier, uh, 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 if one tries, one tries to make it a bit more, a bit more uh, yeah, uh, logical deductive, uh, to, to, to think about those kind of relations at the same time, complementary and competing and antagonist and unity at the same time and not either or. And so then, for those kind of approaches, there's a number of interesting, um, <coughs> of interesting uh, um, traditions which can be helpful. One of them is more on the direction of artistic research, the other one is on the direction of arts-based research, which are having an influence more now on, on sustainability research, and the difference is not so fundamental. The big difference is that in artistic research we are talking about artists 
who are researchers, artists who work on questions of sustainability. Uh, where are, whereas when we talk about arts-based research, we are talking about usually social scientists, or scientists in a wider sense, who are using arts-based methods. It can be visual art, it can be video, it can be photo, it can be walking and other forms of, of, of phenomenological and, and arts-based um, elements and integrating them within their scientific, especially social scientific methods. The big difference is, uh, we had a workshop two weeks ago in Lüneburg, Anke Strauss was there and she was very well summarizing it. Uh, in the first case, you have artistic researchers or artists as researchers and the research result is not so much important, what matters is the artistic process, etc. And, and, and sometimes one wonders, oh, what was the research question after all? Uh, uh, or what is the research insight? It's not so clear. Uh, it's interesting, but it's not so clear. Uh, whereas when, when one has arts-based research, uh, one has interesting new insights on research results, but one wonders, oh, is this art? Uh, 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 can, can we call it art or do we have to look uh, away because it's so bad? I mean, I, I'm not being nice, but this is, this is a bit of a difference between the two. But both are, are very interesting and very helpful. It's just they are practiced by different people with different, different uh, things which are going into the process. Um, Okay, if one looks at the potentials of those approaches, those approaches reach for a fuller scope of human understanding. They try to go beyond those cisdisciplinary attitudes I mentioned earlier to contribute to this transdisciplinary hermeneutics I also mentioned, meaning trying to articulate together cognitive, embodied and enacted forms of knowing or let's say different forms of knowing, different forms of learning, different forms of sensing and, and reacting to the world. And also what's interesting is that those approaches seek new ways of asking questions. Uh, the point being rather to uncover new questions to be asked and to explore the qualitative complexity of the questions asked. Um, so the goal is not really to uh, necessarily produce clear answers to questions and immediate solutions, but rather to engage into uh, what David Haley called question-based learning rather than problem-based learning, meaning that the questions become more complex and more interesting, which of course drives the solution-oriented people crazy because it becomes more complex, more interesting, more uh, going in all directions, and you don't have your solution, which is not obvious. You have solutions, you have possibilities, the, the fields of possibilities open and open and go in all sorts of directions, but you don't have one clear answer. Uh, on the opposite. So those arts-based approaches attend to complex and subtle interactions. They seek to find out about multiple perspectives, multiple attentions, and they definitely do not produce, most of the time, a knowledge that claims to be universal knowledge, but rather a situated knowledge. Here is famous text by Donna Haraway where she was also advocating for situated knowledges, which is very much fitting here. And then those arts-based approaches or artistic approaches contribute in many ways to what I call the aesthetics of sustainability uh, because they, on the one hand, they draw a creative tension, which is really interesting between qualitative complexity and also simplicity. There is also simplicity and the, the, the constant tension between the two in artistic work is, is, is very, very uh, uh, inspiring and interesting. Uh, very often, these kind of approaches allow to explore from the unknown, to explore from not knowing, and not necessarily to explore from knowing. Also, to articulate uh, 
constellations of possible meanings through phenomenological investigations and imaginative investigations. Um, uh, and yeah, what it also includes is to, so to say, really take, to have a courage to include more existential depth into the research. So that questions like deeper philosophical questions like questions of love or, or, or meaning or, or uh, those deeper philosophical questions can be included more easily in the research rather than with, let's say, traditional social sciences where, where those existential questions are not easily finding a way, at least in most uh, social science. Um, what's also interesting in arts-based approaches is that they allow to highlight the subjectivity as the knowing self as being a multi-dimensional sub subjectivity to really go deeper into it. Another, I mean, there's so many, there's many different qualities. I, I cannot go into all of them in details, but it also allows to, to reflect also an epistemic context, to, is, to reflect on the epistemology. I mean, working with artists or working with artistic projects also can include a lot, or usually often includes a lot of epistemological self-reflection, more than actually much scientific work in everyday, in everyday research practice, uh, and also politics, also discussion on, on, on political questions which can gain new, new interesting perspectives from working with, with either artistic or art-based approaches. And another quality, and that one I won't have time to discuss today because it's uh, running out of time, I wouldn't have, we wouldn't have time for discussion, uh, is the, the question of how when transferring those arts-based and artistic approaches in uh, everyday practice, and especially when mixing them with queer theory and queer practice, this is where you have really interesting things also for everyday life and also for, for questions of everyday life and everyday practice, which can be inspiring for also the everyday, for the personal dimensions of the search for sustainable development, meaning in our everyday relationships, in our sexual lives, in our community lives, etc., etc. And that's, that's much, that's, that's my next project, so to say, I'm preparing a special issue on that with some people, uh, um, because there it's, it's, uh, it's much more unusual, so to say, what comes out of it. Uh, I won't have time to go into the details, but I wanted to talk about more, more uh, cases or more examples. Some of the things I've been working on include ecological art, which is a specific uh, uh, movement within contemporary art for, for the past two or three decades, um, where artists work, for example, in order to share uh, uh, spaces and uh, to do works which are shared and also integrating the views, the perspectives and the interests of humans and non-humans, for example, of different communities and different species living together, um, or navigating across many different scales of ecological problems and social problems. Uh, uh, like, for example, the one pioneering work was the one of the Harrisons, so um, really, re really going into the, 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 the depth of this complexity. Through their, through, their, through their projects. Um, and then another aspect which is interesting is how uh, arts-based or artistic approaches also in social practices, uh, for example in cities, and that's the whole research we did the last, uh, the last three years with my colleagues uh, in this research, uh, the city of space of possibilities, how they, they allow to create spaces of experimentation and spaces of imagination, for both together, imagination and experimentation, um, which, which open up, so to say, those, those uh, possibilities of, of 
desired futures through, through all sorts of different practices. Uh, but which is very different. At the beginning, I thought it would be the same thing, but actually I had to realize that's why I did all this work I mentioned today. But it's not the same thing as the Real Labor. It's actually something quite different, even though at the beginning, everybody, also everybody was telling me, oh, it's Real Labor, it's Real Labor. Uh, and, and I said, yeah, yeah, probably. And actually, no, no, it's not Real Labor. The Möglichkeitsräume, the spaces of possibility in a city are not the same thing as the Real Labor. It's, uh, it's much more culturally based and emergent and arts-based and uh, yeah, uh, emergence-based uh, approach to, to, uh, to participatory work for sustainable development. Um, yeah, so this you find in the book, I mean the new book, uh, I won't go into the details, but these are some of the qualities of those spaces of possibility uh, uh, which, are, which, are, which we found out about and which are especially interesting. Um, this I won't talk about, and this is more this everyday thing I talked about, the queering artistic processes, queer ecologies. There's a very nice festival in Berlin for those of you who are very bold, it's called Explore Berlin, and it's about open sexualities and uh, tantrism and all sorts of uh, uh, ways to explore also uh, 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 what, uh, what people talked about in terms of queer ecologies. Uh, or in order to completely, this is a Spanish artist whom I invited for a festival, uh, uh, Javier, uh, no, Jaime Del Val, who is trying to fight against what he calls not the Anthropocene but the Algorithm, the age of the control of algorithms, by developing micro body movements with tons of cameras on him. It's very technological, it's, it's cyborg, kind of cyborg, uh, which he, he gave us some workshops. We were trying to, trying to move in ways which are completely unpredictable, meaning completely also uncomfortable and uh, uh, feeling really strange. But uh, that's part of this kind of querying process in the case of, of movement, for example. Yes, okay, I will st stop here because uh, it's uh, been very, very, um, yeah, long. Thanks. Yeah.